beginning of this message will seem a little different to you, but it will be, uh, if you'll bear with me, it will help you in an understanding, at least maybe cause you a little rejoicing in understanding something with the Scripture. We're in a series which I have titled A More Excellent Way. Of course, I've just taken with that, I have just taken the biblical statement at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it transitions over from the good gifts that uh, the Corinthian believers are told to earnestly covet. They should desire these gifts from God. Remember, a gift is an ability or a uh, particular strength that God gives someone to accomplish something. So a gifting with that and that sort of thing. And he, he encourages them through the Spirit of God to covet the best gifts, but then says, I show you a more excellent way. And we've been dealing with that. We dealt with the need of the more excellent way. And then uh, also last week dealing with the empty gifts. And the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 point out that even if we are extremely gifted and do not have charity, then those gifts are empty for the person uh, who, who is exercising them. Um, the title of tonight, it's of course a series of more excellent way, but I am entitling it The Verb of Charity. Now, you grammarians among us, you say, what's that? That's people who have grandkids. Um, they, you, you grammarians among us, that is, uh, I know right at the beginning that charity is a noun. Always in all its uses, it's a noun. But I want to speak to you on the verb of charity. Um, we're going to get into this, but it's pretty amazing. A verb in grammar, I'm going to read to you a technical term of it. It's a part of speech that expresses action, motion, being, suffering, or a request or command to do or forbear in anything. That's a long Term. Most of it you know is an action word or a, or a state of being word. That's how most of you know verb as. The verb affirms. It declares. It asks or commands. These are some examples. As, I write, he runs. The river flows. They sleep. And they sleep and they sleep. They sleep. We see. They are deceived. Depart. I didn't dismiss you. Um, Go, come, write, all these, all these things. Now, this is interesting. I got to looking at this, and uh, I'm not going to give you how my mind got to, to the point of, uh, of, of seeing this or picking up on it, but as I got to looking at the verb of charity, um, part of it, and in and the introduction, as I get to it here, I'll, I'll explain this more fully, but I realized that God doesn't give a clinical definition of the, of the word charity. And I'm going to mention this here again, but he, he defines it by behavior. And got my mind thinking this direction with it. Back to the English lesson, just what all you school kids wanted, you know, going on. I, I told our teachers, if we're going to diagram sentences in, 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 in the service tonight, but actually we're not. Um, you have different voices of a verb or the different, different uh, way in which it expresses. You have, uh, have an intransitive you have transitive and you have passive. These are three basic forms of a verb. Uh, when the action expressed by a verb is exerted on an object or terminates upon it, 
The act is considered as passing to that object and the, and the verb is called transitive. Okay? Let me make it very easy. and I'll, I, I will give you light for some of you have been through heavy things trying to learn English. It's very simple. When the action transfers to the object, it's transitive. That's why it's called transitive. It transfers. And so it, goes, it moves the object over. You say, what do you mean? Well, if I say I read the book, I am transferring the action from the subject, myself, to the object of that sentence, which is the book, I'm transferring. That's a transitive verb, right? See, feel smarter already. I'm being in church tonight. An intransitive verb um, when, is when the act expressed by the verb terminates in the agent or the subject. In other words, um, if I were to say, I walk, the action of that verb stays with me as the subject. I run. I fall. I get back up again. It's uh, that whatever the verb is, intransitive, it doesn't transfer. It stays with the subject. Transitive, it transfers. It goes to the object. Say, preacher, what's this got to do with anything? It has a lot. You're going to say it here in a minute. Remember I'm talking about the verb of charity? I've given you a little bit of a foretaste of knowing that when God describes charity, He doesn't give a clinical definition, but He, he talks about the behavior pattern of it. So trying to understand it, a lot of what you would try to read or study about charity would just put out this cold statistical type explanation of what this word means. That's, that's not what the Bible's getting at with it at all. Then you have the passive verb. You say, well, what's, what's, what is the passive verb? The passive verb is when the agent and the object change places. The agent is considered as the instrument by which the object is affected. In other words... Okay, the, the example they gave when I, I, was, I was brushing up, make sure I knew what I was doing with this. Goliath was slain by David. David is the one who did it to Goliath. And so the action passes from, from the, from the uh, uh, subject to the object, what happened with it. And the verb's passive, it's a means of transferring that. Basically with that. So, all right, is that enough grammar for one night? Is that good? All right, you like it. So we're good. Um, some of you really do like it, and others of you are going, seriously? Um, but, but here, here's the thing I got from it, all right? When I looked at this, and I went through, and I started looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and I wasn't planning on checking all this out with it, but it got my attention. It picked my attention after I, 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 I started, uh, started studying into it. And as near as I can tell, and forgive me if I missed something on this, as near as I can tell, in the verses we're going to be studying tonight, which is verse 4, 5, 6, and well, we're not studying all these, but these verses are the ones effective. 4, 5, 6, and 7. Those are the verses which will be, will, are affected by this. In those verses, just those four verses, I find eight, count them eight, intransitive verbs. I find two transitive verbs and I find four passive verbs. So in four verses where God's explaining what charity is, you have the usage of the verb. And verbs are very important. They, they are the dynamic life part of our language. And in four verses, all three types of verbs are used. You say, preacher, what's that got to do with the lesson? Very simple. You ready for this? Even in the structure 
of the way God explained it through language, we find out that charity affects everything. In every aspect, from every angle, in every dimension and layer of our interactions, charity affects it. I believe that's why the Scripture says this statement, let all your things be done with what, church? Charity. It's akin to the verse that says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all, do I know what it ends with? To the glory of God. Charity is not something we are to pick and choose its application, but we are to look to live charitably in all aspects at all times in our life. It literally, you get a hold of it, it literally changes, it changes the way you discuss things with people. It changes the way you approach situations. It changes uh, your, your, it strengthens you where you're, you're not as easily uh, set off or you're not as easily, easily discouraged as badly. All these things are helped. Why? Because of charity. Because of charity. Now, with that said, in, in the, uh, the English lesson over, um, last week we learned that all, th- all the giftings from God are available to the believer, but are of no value to the one possessing the gift if that person doesn't have charity. For instance, and the Bible uh, talks about that in, in verses 1-3, through three, look there with it. When it says, I'll give you an example, example in verse 2, Though I have the gift of knowledge and understand all prophecies, and uh, I, I, I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, excuse me, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Now, that ability to understand mysteries or to prophesy and teach people things and exercise the faith may help others, but the person with the gift is not benefited by it if they don't have charity. Because the purpose of God working in us is so charity can flow through us. This week, we're going to follow the Scripture as it turns our attention to charity itself. We're going to begin in verse, uh, in verse 4 in just a moment. But we dealt with chapter 12, went through it, why the gifts were sought after, what that Corinthian culture was like, what that ch- those churches were like. Then we dealt with the emptiness of the gifts without charity. And now this week, we're following the scriptural pattern and we're turning our attention to the charity itself. Um, The very, very first thing we encounter is this, and I've been alluding to this. Charity is not defined in the scripture. Charity is not defined. Rather, its behavior is described. For instance, the Bible defines many things. Um, the Bible says, beware of covetousness, which is idolatry. It gives a definition there of it. In other places, it defines it more specifically, what the actions like with it. With charity, it describes the behavior of charity. When someone is operating in the energy and love of God towards other people, and that charity is going out, what is that like? It's described by action. I believe that we can safely conclude not just from that, but from other things also, that if there's no 
action to describe, then it is absent. In other words, it's like the book of James when it talks about faith. Show me thy faith without thy works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So, charity, God's love working through us, is only evidenced if there's evidence. (laughs) Something actually that's happening with it. And it should be a growing thing in us. If we're to seek to say, based on the Bible, this is what charity is. If someone's asking us, talking to us about charity, if we were seeking to answer that biblically, we would not give a static definition, but rather a description of action and living that is laid out in the Word of God. Hence the title, the verb of charity. Also, I'll tell you what else that does. Now stay with me a moment. You're, you, I, want, I want you to think. That means feeling love towards somebody is not charity. It's a good soil in which charity can grow and thrive. Having kind feelings towards somebody is not charity. Charity is the action. The behavior pattern. And that's what God's interested in. We're going to look at the first three things revealed about the behavior of charity. And all these are in verse 4. Can anybody give me a grin? One verse. That's all. Amen? You ought to be home before tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, Look at verse 4. You chuckle and say, you better know we will be. Um, (laughs) But let's look at verse 4. That's where we are. Let's see what it says, All right. Would you mind reading that aloud with me together? Let's do that. Let's begin, please. Charity suffereth long in this kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. That last statement in verse 4, is not puffed up, takes us into such study that it will be set aside for a message possibly by itself. But we're going to look instead at the first three things dealt with here in verse 4. Alright, let's look at it. The first thing we find out in Charity being, being exhibited or defined, we find charity's behavior here about charity suffereth long and is kind. I put it down this way. This is charity's behavior in adversity. Does anybody ever know what that word adversity means? It means when things are coming against you. You have adversity. Things do not go the way you plan for them to go. Something is trying to keep you from something you want to do. Something has entered your life that is a problem. What is charity's behavior in adversity? It's very important because in this world, um, we are going to have adversity. Jesus said it this way. And he said, uh, be of good cheer. He said, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. By the way, he said that before he was crucified and resurrected. So, a statement of what was going to happen. So he, 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 Jesus was very kind. He, he didn't sugarcoat anything. He didn't hide things. He, uh, he said, you're going to have trouble. There's things going to come your way that are going to be painful, that are going to be disturbing, that are going to uh, cause, cause you to wonder about you know, uh, your, your own self, your designs, your, what you're doing. All of this is going to happen. And so how does charity behave in adversity? If we are only charitable people, when all of life's events are going well, 
first of all, we're not really going to be charitable people. You know, we meet people, and I've met many, many a person, many, many a person over the years, who has said to me something along this line. Well, you know, preacher, when I get some things straightened out in my life, I'm going to start serving God. You know, preacher, when I get these things cared for in my life, here's the favorite one. When things settle down a little, we're going to start serving God. Can I add the translation to that? You're not going to. Until your heart changes about that and you recognize God for who He is, the one that deserves your greatest loyalty and affection, until you get that one right, you're never going to serve Him because you're going to always have something that will hinder you from it. Always have something that's pulling back. Why? You have it in your human endeavors. I have it in my human endeavors. Things you want to do. Things you plan. The thing. How many times have we had to say, that didn't go the way I planned it to? We understand that. Well, we ought to understand that towards God also. God's not looking for a perfect people to serve Him in an ideal environment. God is looking for a broken people to acknowledge the goodness of their Savior and worship Him for who He is and hold to Him when things are rough. And in that, God is honored. He's not, we think He's honored by our exploits and our strengths and our triumphs. But there is also, He can be, He can be, but there's also great opportunity to honor Him in the times of adversity. And so, what is this? What's charity's behavior in adversity? I look at this, and this gets me under conviction because of the way this statement starts. Look at it. Let's be very, let's be very transparent before the Lord with this. Verse 4, charity, look how it starts out. Suffereth how? And how is it during that whole time of suffering? Kind. And I read that, honest to goodness, no joke. I read that, and here's what I think. Just to let you in on a crazy preacher's mind. I think, God help me, I can barely be kind when I'm hungry. I'm one taco short of the meal I wanted, I'm grumpy. I get too tired. Some plan I made didn't go. It can just change my whole disposition. Or maybe reveal it. I just love these, you know, gratuitous convictions that come while I'm speaking. <laughs> but it wow. Pretty interesting thing there. Um Suffereth long and is kind. Tonight's message, I'm going to end with a statement that I wrote down early, early, I believe yesterday morning, maybe in the, I can't remember yesterday morning, this morning, I think it's early this morning, yesterday morning, sometime recently, the, uh, regarding this thing of adversity. And I think it'll be an encouragement to you like it was to me when it came, came to my mind. And I think more of a clarification, understanding about something. I just looked at it and said, oh, okay. I get it. I mean, I understand it. I'm not saying I got it yet, but I, I understand it. It suffered long and is kind. Okay, let's think about this for a minute. The greatest example of this that you'll ever find is not surprisingly the Lord Jesus Himself. Now, there's a source of all good, good examples. We're just weak shadows of that, aren't we? But I thought about these things with Jesus. I thought about his response even to Judas when Judas was betraying him. I thought about his whole 
way of conversation and reaction and action towards the thief that was being crucified beside him. Because if you read the four gospel accounts, it's not four different gospels, it's four accounts of the gospel, you'll find that that repentant thief that is known so well started out railing on Jesus, mocking Him, and, 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 and being just as nasty towards Jesus as the one was that died unrepentant. You read the account, they both railed on Jesus at the beginning. So here's a fellow who is guilty of crimes heinous enough to be suffering this type of capital punishment and someone who started out treating Jesus as nasty as he treated him for no reason. Christ had done nothing to him. And here Jesus is in the absolute extremity of physical mental and spiritual pain and yet when that thief heart has changed he turns to the Lord and asks of the one he had just been railing on remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom Jesus' answer was, didn't have in it any kind of snide remark any kind of chiding, but he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Wow. What about what Jesus did when he looked out from the cross and a crowd whipped up by the very devil himself because Satan himself had entered into Judas Iscariot. It's one of the few times you find that happening in the Bible. You only have that happen about twice in the Bible. Judas Iscariot and then Antichrist were both possessed of that actual Satan himself. And then a crowd, influenced by that, screaming out, crucify him about Jesus. Give us Barabbas. And Barabbas had made insurrection. He had led a revolt against the Roman government and had murdered during their insurrection, the Bible says. They said, we'd rather have a murderer. Give us him. We'd rather have him than Jesus. And Jesus' response to that Father, forgive them, for they know not what they did. Then what about his mother? Here, Jesus' mother is watching her son. He's been butchered. I want to take a moment and let you think about that. In fact, the prophecy had went out on to Mary. When she first found out she was going to have the Christ child, it said, A sword shall pierce thy soul also. And that connection that a mother has that with that child, that, the, that it pierced through her. I believe that Joseph, Mary's husband, I believe, and if you don't agree with this, that's fine. I cannot prove it conclusively, but I certainly do have a lot of... Uh, uh, contributing data towards it, I believe that Joseph had passed before this time. There's some things that point to that, not the least of which is Jesus, who's the eldest son. You have the other children that were born of Joseph and Mary. See, Jesus, Mary had 
Jesus, she was a virgin. She was born of a virgin. After that, she had children that are named in the Bible. They tell us who they are. So these half-brothers, half-sisters, same mother, different father. Jesus was the oldest of that group. A lot of things fell on him responsibility-wise. And as he is getting ready to die, he makes sure it was his responsibility to take care of his mother if she was widowed. He makes sure that she's cared for. There is no reason to do that if Joseph is alive. So he could have been completely incapacitated. I guess so. And this is a bit of conjecture. So it's certainly not something I'd enter into debate about. But you must admit it is conclusive that there was a need there for Mary to be cared for. You can't think that she and Joseph were both healthy, living in the same household, and Jesus decides to tell John to take her home, you know, take care of her. Why? That, that, would, that makes no sense. But what did he do? He looked out and took care of the care of his, his mother, the one who had cared for him. And he made sure that while he was in such agony, it would have been beyond the word excruciating to even communicate. The effort of doing that while the crucifixion is going on was pretty phenomenal in and of itself. So are we thinking about these things? What an example of charity. It's not a light thing, is it? And we don't know those extremities. We probably would never know those extremities. But, but yet, uh, God showed it that way. And, and Jesus did that. Uh, look, at, look in uh, Luke chapter 6. Don't lose your place there in Corinthians, but look in Luke chapter 6. And I'm talking right now about the verb of charity and talking about charity's behavior. That's how it's defined, by its behavior. In adversity. How do we do with adversity? There have been times I've felt that we, we as a people, as a church, could sit back and look at different situations and say, we didn't do so well with this. That doesn't mean it's time to give up or quit. It means it's time to evaluate where we are in following the Lord. To realize that uh, we need God to be working in our lives and, and to thank God that He does work in our lives. That's what that means. <laughs> Look in uh, Luke chapter 6, as I mentioned there. I love this. Catch this. You'll, 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 be, you'll be helped by it. Luke chapter 6, if I can get there. Luke chapter 6, and look down in verse, should be verse 35. Yeah, let's look at verse 35. It says, But love whose enemies? Hmm. If Brother John over here had an enemy, it might be easy for me to love his enemy. <laughs> Even if I cared for Brother John, I might like both of them, yeah. I've said before in the ministry, not all my friends like each other. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, used to be more emphatic than it is now because I don't have as many left. But it says, love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again. By the way, that's a good rule to follow if you're giving anything to a Baptist. And your reward shall be great and you shall be children. Look how God's described in this verse. You shall be children of whom? The highest. For he is kind to whom? First 
group is one we have the worst trouble with, don't we? The unthankful. That being great, I'll never do anything for them again. They didn't say thank you and grovel, and they should have done both. For He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. I wonder how many kindnesses of God the evil heart and the evil mind miss on a daily basis. They're right there, but they don't see them and benefit and appreciate them for what they are. How many riches, how many treasures lie buried under the heavy soil of self-absorption and selfishness. God help us not to do it. But He's called the highest. He said you shall be the children of the highest. The Lord is referred to as the highest as He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Watch this. Showing unearned and unreciprocated kindness is the way of the highest. Hey, wait a minute. I think that matches what's called a more excellent way. This is what God does. This is a better way of living. Did you ever have time, and maybe you haven't in your life, I think probably a good number of you have, where in some particular area of life, all of a sudden it dawned on you there was something better. There was something more I remember a man years ago talking to me about his testimony and he had known the Lord as a Savior but had strayed and gone into all sorts of sins of the flesh and he recounted to me how that one day he was in a place he had no business being in the type of a gathering and party he had no place no Christian should be around and he said I said what got you back out got you serving God again he said I was at this place everybody was partying we had this going and he said I just looked up and looked around and said God's got more than this. What am I doing in this? It reminded me of what the prodigal did. The man we call the prodigal in the Bible, he's down there in the hog bin and he says, wait a minute, there's something a lot better than this and it's closely attached to my father. The heart of a repentant prodigal is a heart that wants to get back to the father. Oh yeah, I'm sure he wanted to be cleaned up. He wouldn't smell like hollow. I'm sure he wanted some food. He was hungry. But you know what he his heart went to and went back to the Father. And so when God's described as showing this kind of this kind of unreciprocated, in other words, they may not love him back, this kind of unearned love that he has, he's called the highest. What we're talking about tonight which has some of your close attention, we're talking about a higher way of living. Higher than the average Christian living, which way too often devolves down to nothing more but a set of forms we follow. You be called the children of the highest. It's a more excellent way. Listen to the statement. A consistent determination to find and follow the highest way. If you have within you a consistent determination to find and follow the highest way of excellence, it will do much to keep you on the path of God. You'll come back in line easier. 
You'll, you'll correct things easier. You'll keep growing. You'll falter, but you'll get back up. You'll, you'll keep going. You'll come out of the dark times. You'll keep following God if you consistently want the way of the highest. If you're looking for what way best honors, do you realize how far below the dignity and the majesty that God deserves is the kind of Christianity that asks such an insipid and vapid question as, can I do that and still go to heaven? First of all, betraying a complete biblical ignorance of what true salvation is. And second of all, sounding like a spoiled brat who needs a woman. Can I do that and still go to heaven? You haven't even got to page one yet. The answer is, what best honors God? One, one thing, some of the old order men, uh, Amish and, and some of the older order Mennonite have, have the uh, down well that is actually a very good thing. Is that they connect their craftsmanship, whatever they do, whether it be woodworking, metalwork, farming, whatever they do, they connect doing whatever they do well with honoring and worshiping God. In other words, if they're building a table for somebody, they're not just building a table for somebody. They are trying to do it to the best of their ability because they believe that if God gave them the ability to work with those hands and craft something, they should do it well. And by the way, that doesn't have to be, oh, type of thing. No, it's, God, let me do this. I'm going to do it well. Do you see how looking at things in that way, a higher way of looking at things, will continually bring you back? It's, it's our nature to, to, to de degrade and decay. <laughs> and so, being like the highest helps us do the right thing. What, what if you chose? What if you chose to speak kindly instead of making a possibly cruel and certainly useless joke about everything somebody says. What if you young men really decide to be biblical and decide to be sober-minded? In other words, knowing when to enjoy and to laugh and when to turn it off and act like you actually have some maturity. What about that? You might find it's a higher way. I cringe at some remembrances of hurt my so-called quick wit has caused. And if you spend time around me, you know I'm about the opposite of a morbid and morose person. Spurgeon warned preachers, he said, beware of the dangerous gift of humor. What does that mean? You have to learn how to turn it off. Or else your entire life becomes a joke. But if you learn the balance of joy, being able to laugh heartily at something, being able to have an enjoyable and spontaneous time. And yet also knowing how to look at things seriously. 
and how to care enough about people you're dealing with to take into consideration that you might have in front of you an opportunity to do good for somebody. I will promise you something and you'll enjoy it if you try it. If you consciously set yourself to try throughout a day when you meet somebody to say something good or a little bit encouraging to them. I mean, people don't even know. Say, how are you doing today? You know, uh, good, man. I hope you're doing well. And it, it's a pretty day out. You know, just a little thing with somebody. You know, man, I, hey, that's sharp. There's a guy the other day we were trying to, he was trying to get out of a place I was trying to get in and there wasn't quite room for both of our vehicles. He was in a big old truck. I mean, just a seriously large truck and uh, very well kept and all that. And I was down where I were riding and we were kind of looking at each other and, you know, trying not to crowd each other. And he looked down at me, a serious look. And uh, I looked up at him and grinned and I said, man, I said, you got a nice looking rig to run around in. It was amazing because it was too tight of a place for us. And we were both, neither of us were out of place. It was just hard to get, you know, seeing him. He just, he looked down and he just, he smiled. And, and just, you could just see him. He goes, thank you. I said, yeah, I said, that's what I need. I like it. And, and he also didn't drive over my Subaru at that point. And so it was, but <laughs> that's okay. Self-preservation takes you somewhere nice. That's good. But he, here's the thing about it. If we look for a way, it'd be amazing. How about to those we love? Are not the words we choose a great tool of opportunity to love? May God help us. May God help me to do this. May God help me to do this consistently. And so charity's behavior towards adversity is a more excellent way is to do that which is right. Then second thing in this verse, I'm back here in 1 Corinthians 13. And as I mentioned, we're just doing the beginning part of verse 4. Aren't you glad? There's a lot in this, isn't it? It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. So there's our... There's our understanding of that. Then charity, look what it says, charity envieth not. This is charity's behavior towards success and blessing of others. I've taught you often on this. I'll not dwell on it too long because it is something I frequently teach because it's touched on in the Bible frequently. I am endeavoring more and more to give the same weight of repetition to things that I see proportional in the Bible. In other words, to make the most out of what God makes and, and, and to touch on it accordingly. And by the way, that's a, that's a work of faith and that's a work to try to do that right. And, and so, but uh, what, what, what about our response when somebody else succeeds? We had a guest preacher here one time who was very hard to get. It just was over, overbooked for meetings. And a number of men in this region of Ohio and some other areas and, and men that we used to have more churches come to our conference than what we have now. And uh, there's different reasons why it changed. That's true across the board with most conferences right now. And even before the things with COVID and all that, there's just a shift. More people are doing things at their churches and you have more smaller conferences around. But I still remember when the man who was my keynote speaker, the main fellow who was going to be preaching during our at that time, we called it Southern Valley Bible Conference. Now it's Mid-Ohio Bible Conference. He got ill, and we had two weeks till the service, and it was an illness where he wasn't going to be able to be here. And I called this man that I knew several men had been trying to get, and I said, look, I said, you remember years ago you told me anything you can do? 
And he said, yeah. I said, I'm cashing in all the chips. I mean, that may not be spiritual, but that's why I was there. And, and I said, I need to... And he came. Made special arrangements. Came and preached a couple of nights. I started getting phone calls from men around the state. How did you get so-and-so? And I had, I can think of four men in particular were angry at me. I have tried for a year to get him. I remember one brother was pretty put out with me and he said, uh, he said, how did you get him? I said, I asked. And by this time, I was just tired of hearing this because I'd gotten these calls where I didn't expect. And uh, he said, well, I asked too. I said, I asked nicely. He goes, I'm not joking. He said, I asked nicely too. And he wouldn't come. I had enough of it then. God help me. I said, I'm cute. You're not. And it was, oh man, he... We were talking well again in about six months, but I had enough of that kind of nonsense. And uh, so I'd had all these calls for him. And I'm thinking, seriously, children, can we grow up? Just aggravate. And (laughs) I get a call. It's Brother Weaver. Brother Weaver called. And he goes... It, I, I didn't advertise it, but it got advertised out. And, and they, he said, you got so-and-so's coming to your church. And I said, yes, sir. And I thought, et tu, Weaver? I thought, <laughs> he, he says, <laughs> he, he says, that's the greatest thing in the world. Man, you must be happy. And that's such a blessing for you. Let me tell you why I told that illustration. I didn't give you the illustration for the sake of the men who didn't react properly in that situation. By the way, some very solid men. That's one little... (laughs) That's one little pimple on their otherwise beautiful face. It's a... um, (laughs) And a couple of them do have warts, okay? But it's... But, but here's why I tell them. Because when I hung up, not only was I encouraged, but can I tell you the truth? It was convicting to me. I was encouraged that I have a friend like that. Here was, here was the convicting part. Here's what I thought. I still remember the day. I thought, dear God, am I a friend like that? In that phone call, in the consistent behavior of Brother Monty Watts and also Brother Fred Hill, those men and their input, the way they were, they would strengthen you, put in me a strong desire. They were living out this. And it helped a young fellow back then to see that there is a higher way it wasn't just a doctrine from the Bible. It was I was seeing it displayed in their lives. May God help us to do that. Charities towards other success and blessings. Do you know sometimes spouses? I think of one woman in particular, and she's had many, many struggles in her life, and a lot of it boils back down to this. She is insanely jealous of every success of her husband. Anytime he does well, it just burns a fire out of her. And uh, he doesn't flaunt them. He does not. 
He tries to bring her along with it, but she just cannot stand to see someone else succeed. And that includes the one that's closest to her. Why would a loving spouse not be glad if their spouse had blessing and could grow? could see something going on. Your children go beyond what you could accomplish. They display some strengths you don't have. You ought to be their biggest cheerleader for everything that's right and everything that's good. And by the way, not trying to get your fulfillment or live your life through them. It's their life to live, not yours. Huh. You know, if the angels in heaven, if there's rejoicing among them, when one sinner comes to repentance, one filthy, broken sinner, and the angels of heaven, there's rejoicing among them for it, maybe we who are and have been filthy, broken sinners ought to be able to step back and applaud when somebody else has a blessing come their direction. May God help us to have this charity. May God help us to do it. Charity envieth not. What is this? It is, it is charity's behavior towards success and the blessing of others. It's interesting. Envieth not. Do you know four times there's an interesting word in the Bible and it's the word fret. It's used four times in the Bible. It is uh, to means to blaze up, come up hot all of a sudden, to rub together, to agitate violently, or to wear away. In other words, that agitation, that blazing up, wears you away. Do you know the exact phrase, fret not thyself, is what's used four times. The word fret's used more than that. But the term fret not thyself. In other words, God says, don't do this to yourself. Don't wear yourself out like this. It's interesting. Listen to these, these statements because they have to do with envy. Four times that that phrase is used. Psalm 37 verse 1. Listen to this. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Well, I live right and they don't. and they. God said, don't do that to yourself. Don't do that. <laughs> Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord. Now that's very telling that it starts that way. And wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Proverbs 24 verse 19 says, Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. Let me show you Psalm 73. Very quickly, look at that. Now we're talking about charity, envy of not. How do we handle the successes of others and the blessings when it comes to others? What about when someone seems to receive good even though they're not? Psalm 73 is a, is a great thing with this. Brother Brian, I'll give something away here because it's not a it's not giving something away in a bad way about your dad. There was a time in your dad's life when you were a very, very young, young fellow. Did not involve you with this. 
But your dad came to me, and I won't reveal all the questions, but some questions regarding some things where he had seen some people who were obviously had no regard at all for anything of God, but were seemed to be doing well. And it was confusing to him. He came to me very perplexed about it and wondering, you know. And you knew your dad, you know, when he was pondering over something. And I had just read, I was always thankful for this, I was quite young at the time. Your dad came to me and I'm going, hmm, okay, here, what do I do with this? And uh, so he was asking me, you know. And uh, I had just been reading this, this psalm. And I took him to this psalm. I was so glad I'd just been in it. And I just read it with him. For years after that, he would refer back to the psalm and how that helped him during that time. Let's read it together. It'll be helpful to you too. You just follow along silently, please. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly. Concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore the, His people, talking about God's people, return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Look at the false conclusion he came to at first. And where he was in his state and his soul. Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I can't even stand to think about it. Until. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was pricked, or grieved rather, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, he said, uh, he said Lord, how was I behaving before you? Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. The image of a child, a father holding a child, keeping him out of danger. Isn't that something? Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. 
and afterward received me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? There's none upon earth that I desire beside Thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from Thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from Thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all Thy works. Charity. How does it act towards others' success and blessing? And then may I say finally and quickly to you tonight, we look at charity's behavior and temptation and the opportunity to self-promote. That's found in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. Not only charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, but it says also charity vaunteth not itself. Very interesting. Two forms of the word vaunt are used. The word vaunt and the word vaunteth. Only used twice in the Bible. By understanding where that is used, the only other time it's used, you understand much of what it's explaining here. The only other time that's used is in Judges chapter 7. And in Judges chapter 7, you have a fellow named Gideon. God came to Gideon and told Gideon that he was going to deliver Israel from some people who had taken over their land and who were, uh, had conquered them and were taking all their crops, were starving them. Many of the Israelites were having to live in caves and up in the cliffs and different places just to try to stay alive. And these Midianites, there were so many of them, they said when you looked at them, it looked like you were looking at the sand of the sea. And they had just overtaken the land. Well, God came to Gideon and He sent a messenger to him said, Hail, thou mighty man of valor and began that way. And of course, many people know about Gideon putting out a fleece. He was seeking confirmation from God that God actually wanted to use him. Well, God tells Gideon, He says, I'm going to send you against this mass of people. And so Gideon goes out there and finally, he, he's convinced of the Lord to go out. And when he goes out, before they're going to go to battle, 30 2,000 men come out to Gideon. 32,000. Guarantee you it would have been like 10 to 1 odds. <laughs> but God looks at that crowd and looks at Gideon and says, no. In fact, in verses 1 and 2 of Judges, He clearly told Gideon why they couldn't go with 32,000. I thought it was a Midianite out there for a moment. God said that He could not go with the people He had. I'm not turning it to you to it right now. He said, lest they vaunt themselves against Me. He said, Gideon, if you go down there with 32,000 men and with those Midianites... He said, they'll be singing around the campfires for every night to come. What did us 32,000 do? Did you see us? We were outnumbered that many. We took them out. And God said, His statement was, He said, lest Israel will vaunt themselves against Me. So, He told Gideon, He said, you get all the people together and said, if you're scared of this battle, you can leave. Right? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. 22,000 of them took off. Uh oh. God looks at that and says, Still got too many. 
Then he separates that out. Anybody know how many Gideon ended up with? Huh? 300. This vaunting that God said, He made the statement, He said, lest Israel vaunt itself against Me. That's what God said. Vaunting is against God. It's exalting self. It's that braggadocia. It's that, look what I did. It's not a happy, contented rejoicing in what God allowed you to accomplish. It's not looking at a job done well and recognizing it and enjoying it. It's not even the victory of a, uh, some kind of a competition or something you were trying to do or maybe a particularly hard job you're trying to get done and you got it done and you go, whoa, I got it done. Praise God, that's good. It's, not, it's vaunting against God. We did this. In fact, so much so, so, God said that here's the words they will say when they vaunt themselves. Here's the exact thing He told them. He said, here's what they will say when they vaunt themselves against Me. If you go down there. He said, they will say, listen to this, Mine own hand hath saved Me. He said, Gideon, you go down right now. What they're going to say in My face is, My own hand saved Me. If God was that serious about a battle back then, what do you think He's like for people who think on the judgment day when they stand before God that they're going to say, my hand saved me by my good works and my religion and my whatever. <laughs> no. No. And so, charity. Behavior in the temptation or opportunity to self-promote. To go from rejoicing and, and being glad, enjoying in a success to braggadocia and arrogance and self-promoting against God. Charity keeps us from it. When these 32,000 gathered, they were completely humiliated as a nation. They were completely conquered as a nation. They had no military strength as a nation. And even in that current defeated, conquered position, they had to face odds that were not just overwhelming, but were actually impossible without God doing it or their pride would take off. I think there's something to be learned from that. There's a thought I wrote down actually this morning as I was studying Dwelling on our need for this kind of discernment and this kind of empowerment from the Spirit of God. Here's the thought I had. I'm glad I wrote down here when I actually thought of it because it was this morning. Here's the thought I had. This was convicting and also to me in a way strengthening. I wrote this down in a little book I was reading and studying in some things. God will regularly, and it says you, I was writing it down to myself. God will regularly lead you into a battlefield where the flesh cannot give you the victory. The Lord is teaching me something about following Him. What He's teaching me is teaching me, I'm going regularly, son, take you to places that you can't win and you're not strong enough for in your own strength. But you may learn the, the beautiful dependence on God. The Bible, of course, expresses it far better than I can. 
And here's the Bible on that. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Pray with me. That's what I have for you tonight. Father.